everybody. Welcome back to the Mastering Rod Building Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Faulkner. And today we are going to take another trip down the path or step down the path of highly, highly customized techniques. As we've talked about on other podcasts, you can build a rod absolutely functionally like a tool with zero embellishment, right? But when we think about doing something very highly custom, a one of a kind, truly never, no one's ever seen one like it. Uh, something that's very unique or personalized to a very particular angler. Maybe it's a special gift, a retirement gift, who, who knows, whatever it is. You know, I do think it's fascinating to explore these topics. And so today we have Don Schaefer from Backbone Custom Rod Company, and we're going to be talking about painting blanks and painting real seats. So uh, if you've, if you're, many of you are very aware of this, and many of you probably know Don and our customers. I am a customer of Don. Don has painted, gosh, I don't even know how many blanks uh, and real seats for me over the years, but Don's down in Florida. He's been a custom rod builder uh, about 11 years. And, and like I said, runs Backbone Custom Rods. But the the website, just to be clear, is Backbone Custom Rod, singular, not plural, dot com. And if you go on there, he's got some fabulous pictures of different paint jobs that he does. And we're going to talk about uh, that paint jobs for uh, blanks for real seats, matching the paint job of the blank and the real seat, uh, all these kinds of things. He's got a bunch of information about price. He's got uh, all of his options kind of listed out. And, and there's some gallery. Uh, and certainly if you search Backbone Custom Rod on Instagram, on Facebook, on, uh, you know, you'll find Don and his work. But I'm delighted that he's going to join us today and, and talk about the process a little bit. And hopefully we'll open some people's eyes to the world of custom painting. So uh, welcome, Don Schaefer. How are you? Doing good, Bill. Been looking forward to this. Ah, me too, man. So um, we, we were talking before the podcast and and I learned something I didn't know. And I, I we were talking about how long you've been a rod builder and how long you've been a painter. And it uh, turns out that started at the same time. And, and your very first rod you built, you painted. Uh, not the first one, the second first one. one. Okay, second one. Okay, all right. Well, well, I always ask everybody, this is your, your indoctrination <clears throat> ritual. So talk to me a little bit about how you got into fishing in the first place and then how you got into rod building. Uh, well, fishing, I grew up uh, up until I was about 10 years old. I lived up in Iowa. Okay. And so we did a bit of bullhead fishing up on uh, Lake Okaboji up there. Gesundheit. <laughs> and uh, so we did some bullhead fishing up there and stuff. But when I came, when we came to Florida uh, back in 1970, we came to Florida and we lived real close to the Harris chain of lakes. We were, we were just up the street from the, from little Lake Harris. And okay. the Christmas after we had moved there, uh, my dad had gotten my brother and I each or well, Santa Claus actually did that one. Uh, right. had gotten us each, uh, Zebco 202. Oh yeah. With the balanced fishing rod. And that mm -hmm. was the first time they ever balanced one. Yep. And yep. so we went down off the fishing pier down there and, First, had to run down to the 7-Eleven store, bought some bait, and bought a rubber worm, purple with pink tail. Oh. <laughs> Threw the thing out one time. And boy, I'll tell you, those old Zipcos, they, they could really cast a long ways. Oh, yeah. Threw it out one time, and I swear, as soon as it hit the water, it exploded. Nice. Biggest ass to this day that I've ever seen. Really? And... I mean, we fought them all the way back to the, I, I fought them all the way back to the fishing pier. Well, we're about 12 feet up off the water. 
Oh gosh, this is a problem with a big fish. <laughs> Looking down, his mouth was the biggest mouth I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, just incredible. And didn't think about, you know, I'm, I'm 10, 11 years old at the time. And sure. so I, I was thinking about, well, walk down to the end of the pier and, and get him down by the shore. <laughs> we try to reel him up and he snaps the line. Oh. Welcome to Florida. I have a reel on my shelf back here. Uh, it's a Zebco 202. On, on the front of that reel, I've got painted on there, dedicated to the memory that never got away. There you go, man. Lost well, we a lost, fish, lost a fish and picked up a hobby for life. Yeah. And, and you know what? To this day, you'll never catch me out bass fishing without a purple worm with a pink tail. There you uh, go. I'll have one in my tackle box. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, so I, mine is the is the purple with the chartreuse tail. And, like, I would honestly be curious how many fish over the years. Charlie Brewer used to make them this little four-inch slider worm. Uh, great with the purple tail man i don't i i'd like to know how many fish that that lure caught me it was a bunch so yeah. uh so how'd you get into rod building though rod building happened like i said about about 11 years ago okay actually a, a little before that i'd made a trip down it was a business trip down to the keys a terrible place to have to take a business trip oh poor you i'm i'm feeling sorry for you i stopped off at the oh what is that the not wide world sports the world worldwide sports sportsman <laughs> yeah yeah Worldwide sportsman down there. Yeah. Off down there, stretch my legs, gonna walk around the bass pro shop basically. And yeah. Walk around and I got to looking at some fly rods in there. And I'm picking up these fly rods and looking them over and stuff. And all of a sudden I happened to notice the price on it, and it was eleven hundred dollars for this yeah. fly rod. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap. Right. I never heard of a rod that expensive before. Right. <laughs> so I I'm like, I picked up the next one. It was like fourteen hundred dollars. I'm like, Good Lord. I, it just blew me away. That Welcome they, to the keys. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, I need to get into this. Right. If they can sell rods that expensive, I'm, I'm like, I got to get into this. So right. eventually I started looking into it and th with the idea, because I came from a fiberglass background, oh, my dad okay. companies, he built boats, he built fiberglass camper tops, all this stuff. Okay. So I had a fiber background. Yeah. Um, but well, I'm going to get into building blanks. When I got into it and I, I started looking around and I'm like, I found mud hole and get bit in Oviedo, which is only about an hour away from me. Right, right. Looking online and stuff, found out information about them. And I'm like, well, I can't build them as cheap as they can sell them. Sure. So right. Yeah. I get into building the rods. Yeah. I, I, I didn't at that point in time, I decided I'm, I'm not going to get into building blanks. I, I, right. I could see. That. So I started building rods. And I'd say the second one I ever did was for my wife. Uh, I decided I wanted to paint it. So painted it up. She still fishes with that rod today. She had that go. rod more fish than any rod I've ever built since then. Well, the color it must have lasted better than the first rod I tried to paint <laughs> with a rattle <laughs> can. That's <laughs> a really good shape, which yeah. is really surprising. But it it held up great and everything. And you know, just kind of got lucky with the formulas that I was using on that one. But then I started really doing a lot of research into yeah. what's the best clears to use the best base colors that right. what's the best materials to use on this it really started doing a lot of research into it right you know there wasn't a whole lot of stuff online about painting blanks but i had a lot of experience with painting composite parts okay between glasses and plastics and stuff like that yep a lot of experience with that so i'm like i knew how to do flexible stuff and i right i knew the flexing wasn't going to be as big of an issue as everybody thought it was going to be yeah. you know everybody thinks you got to use a flex agent 
<laughs> and you know, the first thing you got to do is, okay, well, you got to get a paint and you got to put a flex agent in it. And I was like, no, not, not with today's paints. Yeah. Back in the day when they first started coming out with a base coat, clear coat systems, yeah. they used a lot of acrylics and the acrylics would get brittle and break. Right. But these are urethanes. These modern paints are urethanes. They're tough as hell, yeah, man. They're flexible. You know, back in the days when they were first starting to come out with all these rubber bumpers that would go onto the cars, all the covers that would go over the bumpers, right. and they would have to flex and bend those to put them into shape after they had painted them. Well, right. the paint was crazy while they right. were trying to bend them. So they would have to use a flex agent. Well, all the flex agent is is a retarder. It slows the cure of the paint. Right. Instead of curing out in 24 hours, it might cure out in 72 hours. So it gives okay. you time to flex it to get it put back onto the car. And after that, it's going to get just as hard anyway. Yeah. So retarders like that are, you know, flex agents, really all it is is a retarder. Yeah, it, you'd only get helped if you needed it for an installation. It's not going to change the properties of the paint over time once it cures up. Not change it over time. So, uh, so like I say, the flex agents isn't the key. The key is using the proper clear in the first place. And with the urethane clears that are out there today, they work fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you want a good two-part urethane clear. Yeah. You know, 2K is what they call that. Mm -hmm. Not 2X, but 2K. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can actually buy that in a rattle can. Uh, well, now you they, can, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they make a rattle can that is two parts. And then it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, there's a bladder inside that yeah. paint can. And there's usually a plunger on the bottom of that can where you push the plunger and it breaks the bladder. And then you shake it up and it mixes the hardener into the clear. Yeah. Works. I'm not saying it's as good as what I use, but. Well, sure. Right. It doesn't cost as much either. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's the thing, you know, it's about 30 bucks a can. Yeah. And after you use it, the can hardens up. Right. So if you're painting three or four rods, okay. But if you're only painting one rod, you're, you're putting, you know, $30 worth of clear coat on that rod. Yeah. So it does add up, you know, and that's just on the clear itself. That's not the yep. color that's on there. Yeah. So there is a way of doing that with rattle cans and stuff like that that people can do. And they do it successfully. Yeah. There's, I, I see... On all the different social medias and stuff like that, my name gets thrown around quite a little bit. Yep. When it comes to paint, my name gets thrown out there a lot. Sure. You should say for check with Backbone Custom Rods. I put information right on my website on what to do to what I my basic processes are right. for paint. I I don't mind telling people what my basic processes are. If they have experience with painting, especially if they have experience with automotive style painting and stuff like that, they'll probably know what to do with that. If yep. you have zero experience with it, you probably also have zero equipment. You right. probably also have zero, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a big learning curve on trying to figure out how to do it and yep. do it properly. Uh, not, and it can't be done. We serve an industry of world-class do-it-yourselfers. Right. We right. build our own freaking fishing rods okay so <laughs> we they, they you don't get more do-it-yourselfer than that right right uh my clients build their own fishing rods so it's one of those things that they're world-class do-it-yourselfers and they're going to figure out a way right you know, right figure out a way well i could figure out a way to do a lot of things but some things it's just easier to buy it yeah. Uh, you're, well, and what you've learned years of the process, the investment you've made in specialized equipment, how fresh you're able to keep your paints by using a certain volume. Yeah, it's 
It's certainly for me and I painted some and I love doing it. And it, I didn't love doing it. Actually, it was tedious. I love the result. Uh, yeah. And then it got to the point where it was like, man, it's just simpler for me to get uh, the result from you, but to each their own. Yeah. So people will probably try it. One, one kind of high level question real quick before we dive into a little bit more detail on the process. Yeah. When did you start painting seats? Cause you paint seat, you paint a lot of seats also now too, and people can do yeah. either or, or both. I started painting seats probably about a year or so after I, painted my first rod uh okay. started painting seats now you know the graphite seats paint well but there right. is a totally different process to painting a seat than there is a a, a rod blank rod sure. blanks uh it's a different kind of material the the graphite seats that they use they need to be scuffed up to paint them right and when you scuff them up you actually expose the fibrous carbon that's in those seats right will be exposed to the surface it's going to be rough yeah. So they need to be primed and then right. reset after they're primed. Right. And they need to be primed with a good primer. You, you can buy primer for $4.99 a can down at Ace Hardware, but yeah. it's not going to give you good results. Yeah. The stuff I, I use a rattle can. That's the only thing I use a rattle can on is yeah. my primer. Yeah. But the primer I use is over $30 a can. Yeah. It's, it's an epoxy primer. Right. That's got great adhesion. Uh, and, you know, when you're talking about threading, nuts onto them and stuff yeah. like that tolerances yeah. matter yeah better have a good base on there right yeah you know it's also interesting um so fundamentally as we think about it with anything whether you're trying to i mean you're actually you're you're trying to get this paint to adhere to yeah. to display or look the way you want it to and then to perform right yeah <laughs> and so like anything else it, it's same if you were painting a piece of furniture right you gotta you gotta sand it and surface prep it right you gotta prime it right and then you gotta coat it right and there's a little there's some art to how much buildup do you need you're playing this game of weight versus appearance and all this kind of stuff so since those are separate things let, let's we'll we'll keep them in separate swim lanes here and we'll, and we'll start with blanks so one of the things that I would love to get you to talk about a little bit, because I, I would think people would get this, but we see this question. I'm sure you see it so many times. I want to refinish a rod blank. Can I just coat the whole thing with thread coating epoxy? The answer is no. Well, the answer is with anything is, yeah, you can. Are you, are you going to be happy with the results and how it holds up? And the answer to that one is no. Right. And so for people who don't understand or who haven't ever seen the process, if you go to rod factories that paint process, that paint blanks or finish blanks, the old way that they do it, right, was kind of this uh, diaphragm method where you would actually take almost like a cup, like a PVC fitting and with a hole in it, and you put a, a rubber bladder on it, literally mm -hmm. like a membranous rubber bladder. Think like a, a vinyl glove or something on there with yep. a hole of a certain size burned into it. And then you tip the blank down through and then swipe it out in one swipe. And it can be done. It's if you don't do it all day, every day, it can be harder to get it right than you think. Right. And again, that is a, it, a part of why I mentioned that is to help you understand how squeegee thin the coat actually is on these blanks when they're properly done. We've got some people now that offer painted blanks. CTS comes to mind. Uh, Rod Geeks come to mind. I'm sure there's others sure. that you can order painted blanks. And I'm telling you, they run an automotive grade professional spray painting shop like what you're running to paint right. things, right? So the buildup, you could not possibly get the kind of buildup, the low buildup with a beautiful, flawless, you know, blemish-free finish on a blank coating it with rod building epoxy, you're going to add a ton of weight. And I think that's one of the things you actually share on your website. And one of the things I want you to talk about, if you don't mind, 
is is how little weight you actually add because some people are going to say and look i'm the first one to say weight is the enemy of performance gary loomis taught me that i recite it all the time and i get that but where you add the weight and how much weight you add matters and, and this is a relatively de minimis amount of weight when you paint a blank right like don't you don't you share information based on like a seven foot average you know bass or yeah. inshore blank yeah i i have actually measured that probably a half a dozen different times yeah. over the where I just like, am I still staying true to what I said originally? And because right. you know, I want to know. Yep. And it's one of those things that 0. 0.07 ounces is how much weight I put on a seven foot inshore or freshwater rod right. when I'm painting. And 0. 0.07 ounces, it's like, okay, well, that how, how much is that? A dime weighs 0. 0.08. Yeah. So less than a, a dime. Edge razor blade weighs 0 0.08, so less than the weight of a single edge razor blade. Yeah, not much. And when you think about when you think about the fact that the butt is much is much bigger and has more surface area in the tip, most of that weight is getting distributed on part of the blank that doesn't affect performance much, right? Is the bottom fifty percent yeah. of the rod. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that yeah, it doesn't really change the weight to most people are not going to feel that difference. Right. But I get the purist. I get the yeah. purist that want black on black. I I, I listened to your interview with, with forehand and uh, it's one of those things, you know, him yeah. talking about he, he didn't want a metallic trim band because it would distract his eyes away from the fish. Right. Yeah. It's like that dude's focus is better than mine. I'm, but yeah, no, but Hey, to each their own. That's one of the reasons to build custom. You can build them however you want. Right. But I, I do think I, there's, I love that. Yeah, there's some pride of ownership, and and one of the things that is neat about the painted blanks, and I've seen this firsthand with blanks I've had you paint for me, the ooh ah factor for people, the wow factor when you're when you're surprising somebody with a custom rod, say it's a gift or whatever, and and it's also the first time they've ever seen one with one of these custom paint jobs, it can be pretty pretty spectacular. And and again, I fish a lot. I am kind of a nerd about performance and all that. I've got some where you've painted one blank for me and then the other blank I, I didn't have painted. And once you put a rod, a real line, lure, jig head, plastic, whatever it is that you're putting on the rod and actually fishing it, you don't, I'm unable to discern a difference in performance. I've talked to people who think they can. Great. Maybe they can. They may, they may be that much better of a fisherman or that much more dialed in where they're so perceptive, even a, even a trim ring uh, or a trim band distracts them. Right. But uh, so all that being said, vote your conscience, do whatever you want to do. But when you, and, and again, I want to be real clear about this. Don has a very evolved and refined process using some high-end equipment and using very high-end paints and coatings. Results may vary just because he can get it to 0.7 of an ounce doesn't mean you can, but I, I wanted him to share that information because it is uh, relatively, and, and when you put, think about, you know, two thirds or three quarters of the paint being in the bottom 50% of the blank or, or however the math works out, it's not going to affect performance. So if you don't want to do it, you don't like the way it looks fine. I just don't think even as a pretty discerning and picky rod builder, I don't think weight is a reason why you wouldn't want to do this, especially on certain types of rods, right? The other part of that equation is the deflection. It's the action sure. of the yep. I've had two independent tests done. One was done at American Tackle. Okay. Uh, and they had their big deflection board out there and stuff. And yep. I had painted a rod for them, oh, probably six months earlier. Okay. And it was, I can't remember. I think it was like a CB72 or something like that. I forget the okay. weight on it. Yeah. But it, it, it was an inshore basic rod and stuff like that. Seven foot, two inches. Yeah. 
And Darren and I were having a conversation in there the one day and he was talking about the deflection and, yep. and I said, well, Darren, I said, I really don't think it's going to change it that much. And he says, well, let's go put it on the board and see. Right. So he took a blank that had been painted for over six months. So that paint was a hundred percent cured out. It's, it, it, it's not going to change. I took another rod, the exact same model of rod, put it mm -hmm. on the deflection board right next to it. Identical on the deflection. Absolutely. The, he, he couldn't believe it. He's yeah. like, okay, I'm impressed. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. And uh, then recently, Buzz Butters. Yeah, Sergeant uh, Butters. Yeah. So but, he's, he's talking about Darren Heim. Darren's former yeah. president of American Tackle. And now since it's become part of Foundation Outdoor Group, I can't remember. I think he's a has a senior title there. It escapes me right now. I'll, I'll look it up and we can add it before the end. And, and yeah. He pretty much heads up the wholesale program there. Right. Okay. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, you know, and Darren's, you know, Darren, he's been around the industry absolutely worked at pack bay like he's an ace he's been around forever yeah with all these history guys you know that you did with bob mckamey the yep. for him all these i yeah. love those interviews because of the fact that the history that's exposed in him darren is another one of those that has a lot of history in this industry yeah he, but, he's in or peripheral to almost all the stories yeah. right and he's and he's a good guy and has a son in the business now too who's also a great guy sure. so and then yeah. buzz butters is is sergeant butters uh is one of the uh He's one of the lead instructors in the Foundation Outdoor Group education program. So if you've ever gone yep. to take a, a, a mud hole rod building class or you take any of the Foundation Outdoor Group uh, rod building classes going forward, if you have had a, if you've been through one of these programs or you've been taught in your high school or whatever, he's a very accomplished rod builder, multi-species angler, uh, damn Yankee, uh, which we forgive him for because he's mostly reformed since he's been, you know, spends enough time in Florida. But uh, yeah, so anyway, you were talking about Buzz. Well, Buzz did a test because I had painted a, a couple of rods for Buzz. Buzz is real big into donating rods to military or, you know, veteran yep. type group, stuff yep. like that. I had done a red, white, and blue rod for him. So it wasn't just a single color rod. This was a three color rod that I sent him. And he tested that rod uh, on their deflection board and stuff like that. Yeah. With another rod, and he said he blocked the camera. He did everything and set it up just right, so you could. He said the rod disappeared behind it. He said it was absolutely imperceptible, basically. Yeah, zero change in the deflection on that rod. Yeah. So it's one of those things that I I have painted. You know, a lot of guys have told me, well, you'll you, you can paint these kinds of rods and these kinds of rods, but you'll never paint a fly rod. You'll never paint an ice rod, and it's like. Uh, I have painted hundreds and hundreds of fly rods. I know for sure you've painted fly rods for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I have painted fly rods. I have painted, uh, and, and it's one of those things that my fly rods are actually really kind of taken off because I started doing all the trout patterns on them. Yeah. And they love that when I do that rainbow trout, or my favorite is the brown trout yeah. on there. Looks fantastic on well, there. I think that so, you do a wood grain and a bamboo kind of looking one, and that's that's a neat that's, touch for a fly rod, too, right? You can yeah. get that kind of cosmetics kind of throwback, very sentimental and sort of traditional, yet you get all the performance of a carbon fiber blank, you know, um, and the durability and, and all that kind of stuff. Whole thing though is there, there's no limits when somebody comes up with an idea. My only limit is here's a, a little story that I've got for you on how I kind of got into painting the rods. And turning this into, you know, a little bit of a craft, okay. turning it into an art and then turning mm -hmm. it into a business. Yeah. But I had a, a guy that worked under me uh, at one of the places that I was painting golf cart bodies and stuff at. I was running the golf or running the shop there. And he, he was a prepper. He, he was an artist. He was an absolute artist. He painted all kinds of cool stuff. But 
it's one of those things. He did more mural type stuff on walls and things like that. He had a much bigger canvas than you typically have. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was the point. Exactly. He was struggling. He's like, man, I can, you know, he couldn't get any work doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and this was just his gig and stuff like that, that he was trying to right. do. But he's like, you go in and price painting out a wall for somebody and you give them a $500 price. And, and it's like, why are you doing it for $500? Because I mean, Jesus, that your cost in that's going to be $300. And yeah. And then there's art in your time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I just, I kind of just out of the blue, I told him, I said, man, you just need to find a different canvas. Yeah. You've got to find a canvas to paint. Well, that got him to thinking and he came up with some different stuff, but it got me thinking too. And it was shortly after that I started building the rods and that kept coming up in my mind about find your canvas. And I, every now and then I kick myself in the butt for finding a canvas that is so damn skinny. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's limited, right? And so so let's talk about that a little bit because I know you and I kind of ran into this a little bit. One of the things that you and I have played with over the years um, where I was needing help from you uh, and, and you do a lot of this stuff now is these chameleon yeah. and color change pigments. and. Sure. and and so when we think about, we're just talking about blanks right now, but this can be done on real seats as well. Don can do, he mentioned the red, white, and blue fade. He can do where the, the blank is essentially uh, more than one color fading from one color at the butt to another color at the tip. He can do things where he very specifically imitates a mahi-mahi. He mentioned a rainbow trout, a brown trout, uh, redfish. I know you've done speckled trout. I know right. you've done. So just about any fish, a largemouth bass, a smallmouth bass where the rod is literally just like a fish is kind of counter shaded dark at the top, white on the bottom. The blank can be that way. Um, and, and of course he's a builder, so he knows how to take spine into account and all this kind of stuff. He can do flame paint jobs. He can do solid colors, but one of the things that you and I both kind of like, and I don't know why this has always fascinated me. It still does is uh, kind of chameleon and color change things, right? Yeah. And one of the things that you and I were lamenting, this has probably been years ago, but is is sometimes you find a pigment that is uh, that flips really well. And these are normally powder additives. Again, they come from the automotive and like the custom, you know, hot rod and, and motorcycle, you know, space as nearly as I can tell. And people who custom paint yeah. helmets and, you know, all this, there's some sure. really unbelievable artists out there, but again, they have a bigger canvas, right? And one of the things that's real unique with these chameleon pigments is they, the surface area and the flatness versus curvature like really matters. And it can be some of these things. If you were going to paint a motorcycle helmet, they flip really hard. Like you get multiple yeah. color, but man, you put it on a, a tiny little, you know, inshore rod blank. And you maybe get a flat color or just a little bit of color in the right light or whatever. Gives yeah. you a totally different look than a round cylinder right. that's so small. It's hard to get that color to flip sometimes. Right. Not because the pigment doesn't flip, but it just doesn't show well on a small cylindrical object, right? Exactly. It, it just doesn't show on some things. It, it'll right. sometimes show on a real seat better than it does a rod blank because yep. seats have a little more shape to them. Yep. Uh, and that extra curvature helps. So you you picture a quarter panel on a sports car is yep. really going to flip good. Right. Whereas the hood may not flip as much, but it's such a large surface that it still does. Right. A rod blank just doesn't flip on every color. I have tried probably at least 20 different yeah, uh, color shifting colors, and and at a great expense. Right, they are expensive. The good ones are expensive. Yeah, plus time and everything else. Yeah, I've probably twenty to twenty five different chameleons. Yeah, I've got three. Yeah, that I like. Yeah, those are the only three I sell. Wait, that's I, the, that's three we like. Three yeah. we like. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they work though. Like PB and J, I can't remember what you call the other two, but yeah. And if you've ever been to like purple, blue, and jade, 
M. Yep. Yep. Uh, there's a BA, which is a blue and amethyst. Mm -hmm. Got another one that is called Aloha. It's a, it's a new one that I've got out. Yeah. looks really cool. Oh, I haven't uh, used that one yet. We're going to have to try that one. Yeah, you you do need to try that one. Okay, excellent. And, you know a guy, uh, and it, I like it a lot too. So, well, that's awesome. Uh, so, so the basic process here, though, is, and there's more than one way to do this. And, and we're not what we're not going to do is disclose Don's secret sauce because he has, at great expense and tremendous effort, like I said, distilled, refined, evolved his process heavily to get the the result that you want and frankly what don's doing is probably beyond what a lot of small craft home diy people want to do but again if you want to make sure you don't get a single piece of lint you got to use a spray booth and a negative pressure so he's going beyond what we're going to do but if we talk about just helping people understand the process and everything that goes into it because it's a pretty significant process right you're you're essentially prepping the surface you're priming the surface and then you're painting it and for the most part painting these kind of challenging small diameter objects spraying one way or the other shooting the paint is is generally going to yield the best result for these and evenness of pigments and of course when you start to get into some of the really artistic things that you have no choice but to try to do it that way right so this can be done with like a high volume low pressure spray gun or an hvlp gun it could be done with an airbrush as you mentioned in in sort of a crude form with one color it can be done with a rattle can but talk a little bit about just the overall process and all that goes into it well you know you mentioned the hvlp guns which mm -hmm. hvlp it's high volume low pressure right and people think okay well it's low pressure so i don't need a very big compressor but it's like it's high volume very so high you, volume. Yeah, compressor that'll put out some air, uh, and it needs now, to be clean air. It can't be oily air. <laughs> so air. not every compressor that will do. On your air, it's great if you can have a an air dryer system, which is right. basically like a refrigerator that takes the right. moisture all out moisture of out. Air. Right, whether it's a contaminant or not, comes out. Right, right. Oil filters because any compressor is going to pass a certain amount of parts right. per million oil. Right, and that will ruin a paint job as well. So you've got yeah. an oil filter all that stuff to, to do it right you might get lucky and spray a couple of them out and say i don't know what don's talking about because mine came out great and you then get a couple come out great yeah like fish eyes on you and you'll wonder why and right. it's because well a big burst of water and oil came through your line and right. and wrecked everything right so or you weren't in a controlled enough environment or your temperature wasn't stable enough or you let your paint huh. go bad on the shelf or you sprayed too heavy with or too much or too little pressure like again it can be done and don figured it out people can figure it out too so my goal is not to discourage anybody who wants to try this but i do i do want to caution people a little bit you should not especially with blanks in many ways i think seats are a little bit simpler in some ways they're their own set of challenges to get stuff to adhere and stay durable over time with the threads and you're painting sometimes hoods which is metal that's different than the carbon fiber reels you know so there's a host right. of considerations there too but blanks get really tricky and i've seen a lot more bad blank paint jobs than i've seen good blank paint jobs and so you know just a, a cautionary tale for folks you should expect to have some some scrap piles you should expect to test and have to really you know dial in a system if you want to get results like what's Don doing. And of course, you, you've got to be an artist too, right? Which not all of us are. Like I, I couldn't paint that flame paint job. I don't think I could paint some of these really elaborate fish patterns, but I'm glad you can. So I know where to go if I need one. We'll just need a particular red or a particular yep. something like that. You know, you cannot give a guy uh, a Tennessee orange if he's a Gator fan. Okay? Right. It's just uh, that you won't make that sale or a so, Texas fan. Right. <laughs> or a Texas fan. Yep. And we're not even going to get into Alabama and Florida oh, state. Oh gosh. Right? Yeah. We'll yeah. Have that. 
conversation on this. Yeah, we, we are, <laughs> as we record this, we are on the heels the week of a very controversial CFP, or it's controversial to some, not controversial at all to others, uh, CFP yeah. committee decision. So, yeah, we'll stay away from that just for hurt feelings. And I don't want to pick the scab yet, right? Right. But it's one of those things that you do need to be able to hit those colors. And that's been my hashtag. That's my, that's my goal. And what I do is any blank, any color. And, you know, it's like, well, you, you can't do any blank. And I'm like, yeah, I can do any blank. And it's like, well, yeah, but you can't do Rod Geeks blanks. Yeah, I paint a lot of Rod Geeks blanks. Right. But you can't paint Rod Forge blanks. Yeah, I've painted Rod Forge blanks. Right. I, yeah. it, because... Rod Forge doesn't have all the colors. Right. Yeah, they, they can't afford to, to to have all the custom colors and all the custom additives yeah. and, and flip pigments and all that kind yeah. of stuff. They have to make some choices. Yeah. No, they have to make choices. They, they're going to have a batch of 15, 20, 25, 30. I, I don't know how many yeah. they have. Honestly, they're going to have a batch of colors that you're going to have to choose from. Right. You're going to have an orange in there most likely, and yeah. it might match up to that Florida Gator orange just right, but it's not going to match up to Tennessee orange then. Right, so it's, right. Or want, Texas yeah. burn orange or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and, like, if you just want white, you pr you may not need done. A lot of people can do – You there's a lot of white blanks available, but if you want, sure. like – desert dune pearl white or, or you know what i mean like that's a different you want crushed oyster shell white like that's a different deal right yeah and mud hole offers a pretty good selection of colors as well sure and people are like oh man that must really hurt you and it's like no no no, that helps no. me yeah the yeah. more color the more people see color on yeah. a rod yeah the more business goes up yeah the more you know with rod geeks i know they're only doing a few colors now right. uh which i the story on that one and stuff but uh and then uh you know rod forge is coming out with their color system and and of right. course mud Hole got several colors that they offer right. and stuff yeah they, they offer some metallics and some solid blacks and whites in the yep. nhx blanks and then they have some solid kind of flat colors in some of the crb blanks right but again and if that's what you're looking for and they've got the blank you want in the color you want awesome the go color you but yeah. this is what you can do with Don, or if you decide to go down the path of painting your own, is the same thing you can do with custom. It's it's limitless, right? It's whatever you want to a point, right? Um, yeah, so let's get into the paints and the materials a little bit, because that's part of what goes on here too, right? So yeah. you won't say it, but I will. So quality, there's no getting around it. Quality costs, right? And these very high quality, very stable, very tough two-part 2K urethane clears are expensive, Number yep. one. Number two, they have a shelf life, right? And and just like when you're using epoxy, you can't, it, it is dangerous and possibly inadvisable to try to measure exactly how much epoxy you need just to coat the guide wraps, right? So you're always going to have overspray. You're always going to have a little bit left over in the can, right? So there's some, some waste that is, I think, inherently built into a, a really good consistent process. Not that anybody wants it, but you can only use so little before it's false economy and you're going to run into a different set of problems. You, you fail to spray the whole blank. Now you got to try to mix a second batch exactly the same as the batch you just did to match so you know there's there's variables there the other thing is these paints have to be stored under controlled conditions and they they don't survive as well it's one of the reasons why we don't see two-part urethane thread finish coatings they can make them you just yeah. can't make them that don't go hard or go bad in a bottle uh, faster than any of us can use them especially sometimes in a high humidity and humidity environment like florida where you are or alabama where i usually am but 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 talk about the the paints and materials a little bit because the process is you're basically properly prepping and priming this blank uh, again, adding very little weight, and then if we if we dramatically oversimplify without giving away any any secret sauce, you're mixing 
a hardener, you know, or an activator or res, almost like using epoxy. It's a two-part mix that's activated by the catalyst that you add to sort of uh, the, the main material. And then you have a certain amount of time to sort of spray that onto your canvas, which in this case is real seeds or rod blanks or whatever. Right. And, and Bill, I have this on my website. Okay. Uh, the basic materials that I use and, and my basic procedures are on my website. Also the procedures, or if you wanted to order through one of the mud holes or anybody, you know, if we've had people drop ship from Angler's resource, it, it's yep. like, Mm -hmm. every, every i love man, those guys tell them to keep it up tell them keep it coming <laughs> out there is drop shipping stuff to me right from different customers yeah and i do my pickups at mud hole and get bit because logistically that works and so let's talk about that for a second so if you if you're not familiar with don and his process because of where he's located one of the things that's really interesting is you can actually buy the blank from say mud hole right or why don't you walk us through that process and how it works mud hole and get bit Right. You know, they're both right there in Oviedo, Florida. They're an right. hour away from the house. Right. So we, I say we, my wife drives over there once a week. <laughs> uh, she knows she's heading over there and there, there's people at Mudhole. They know her. They don't, they don't know me. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so they'll, they'll regulate Connie. When she comes are here. you, are you bragging or complaining? I'm, I'm bragging for her. Okay. Okay. But she, she'll go over there once a week on Wednesdays and we always pick up on Wednesdays. And we'll pick up anything that's been ordered. Uh, and when a customer decides they want to have a blank painted, they, they need to contact me. They need to contact Mudhole. I work with Mudhole. I work with GetBit. We do not work for each other. Okay. So uh, they don't mark up the price at all for this. And I don't mark up the price at all for this. We don't, I don't charge anything for going over and picking it up. And I don't charge anything for going over and dropping it back off. Uh, so the, Freight is what kills this business if you're not careful because yeah. shipping fishing rods is expensive. And it's not getting any better. Yeah. So if you can place your order with Mudhole or GetBit, and they will they will have it to where they will still handle the shipping on it. So if you if your order qualified for free shipping, you're gonna get free shipping. Yeah. Uh it works out great. If you are paying for shipping, you're only paying for one shipping. You're not paying for three. You're not getting it shipped to your house. Right. And then and then back to you. Yep. Okay. You, you know, at worst case scenario, you're only paying one shipping bill. So that mm -hmm. helps a lot. Yeah, it does. Order from somebody like Angler's Resource, or if you order from uh, Bill Batson or something like that, yep. and they need to have something shipped to me, all right, well, you're going to have them just drop ship to me instead of shipping to you first. Drop ship it to me, and then we ship it on from there. So it saves an extra shipping that way too. Yep. But with, with Mudhole, place your order with them. Let me know what it is that you want, what you're getting picked up, and what colors you're wanting. And I always like to get the order number that you gave Mudhole to or get back. And then, you know, we pick it up on Wednesday, and the following Wednesday we take it back. Nine, nine times out of ten, it's back there the following week. It's just like you're saying, it's super convenient. You're reducing the time of all the shipping. Yeah. These days, you know, I've had more rods broken since COVID or blanks broken since COVID than I had my whole career building them before. So, you know, anytime you can skip a step or avoid the risk of, and cost of shipping, that's a good thing, right? So, and, and again... Anything can be painted as long as it's properly prepped and Don knows how to do that. Um, and and if if you can't get what you want from mud bowl, mud hole or you can't get what you want from get bit, ship it to right. him. You you can ship him anything too, right? So yep. And, and you know I've got customers that it's like, well, no, Angler Resources is my supplier. That's who I get them from. That's fine. Right. 
Yep. We'll ship them to. I get. I buy direct from Batson. I, I I don't I don't go through it. I buy direct. That's fine. He'll ship them to me. You know, if you're shipping me a half a dozen blanks, the cost per blank is really not that bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's the one. It's the one eight and a half foot blank by itself. <laughs> we don't. We don't want it to go over eight foot. That's for mm, sure. Not these days. You sure don't. No. So we work it out, and we we try to be. We try to work with the customer and with the shippers and with all the different companies with them as much as we can to make the process as easy as possible. Yeah. I don't want anybody to be stressing out over it that, oh, you know, it's it's a custom order and I had to do this and I had to do that. No, 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 no. You're going to place your order just like you normally would. The only thing you're going to put on there different with mud hole or get bit is you're going to say hold for pickup by Don Shape. There you go. Yep. Do Put on there hold for pickup by Backbone or Don or Connie, uh, just hold for pickup and we will get it picked up. Yep. It never fails. We we have it down. Everybody knows us when we come in there. Everybody knows what we're there for. Everybody knows why you're holding it. If you put our names on it, they know it's going for out for paint. It's not a problem. Yep. And and Don outlines this process again on his website, right? So um, it, it's all there if you want to figure it out. So it, it, it can be very, very simple, right? Don's worked hard to sort of make it that way. So we talked about the paints. Any anything you would share, or you would advise people about working with these kind of two K urethanes and clears. Um, it, it, any any lookouts or safety warnings or anything else? Definitely safety. When when it gets when when you're dealing with some of these chemicals and stuff like that, you know, there's certain things that even working with the epoxies and stuff, people need mm. to be careful. Right. You, you know, but for the most part, you're working out of a little cup and a little brush, and it's you know, you're not really getting that much on you. But with this, it's airborne. Yeah, <laughs> it's all over you. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I work right here in the middle of Central Florida. This was probably the hottest summer I remember in a long time. But yeah. you know what? I go into that room. I'm fully covered in full suit. Yep. and full double respirator, hat, yep. everything. I try to keep that paint off me as much as I can. Yep. You know, it's it's just not worth it. It's it's one of those things that the isocyanates that are in the clear coats that make it get hard and stuff like that. It can paralyze your lungs. Uh, I always, you'll make the joke about, you know, it'll make your babies be born naked. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things that you just, you don't want to mess around with these chemicals. Yeah. If you're spraying one out in your garage and stuff like that, you know, just take care of yourself. Definitely wear a respirator. Absolutely wear a respirator. Gloves are so important. Wearing gloves, keeping that stuff off your hands because it absorbs into the skin just as easy as it goes into your lungs. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Before you spray and ask me how I know this, you need to make sure you've also run through the procedure of how you clean your equipment afterwards. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> this is not the kind of stuff you can let even start to set up and then try to, it's going to be very, very difficult to, and you can ruin some expensive equipment like in a water airbrush or a, you know, a precision HVLP kind of mini gun if you're not careful, right? So you have to understand the materials you're working with and you have to understand how to clean up and take care of your equipment. And it seems really simple, but figure all that out and maybe do some test runs ahead of time before you start trying to shoot it. It's Once your gun is wet and you're done painting, that's not the time to realize your local hardware store doesn't have what you need to clean your equipment. You, you might think that mineral spirits, all oh, that'll clean anything. And it's like, no, not with this stuff. This urethanes are so tough. Yeah, it's 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 a different animal. Yep. Lacquer thinners usually work pretty good and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some of the stuff that you buy for the airbrushes and stuff like that that you can mm-hmm. buy at Hobby Lobby. It'll work. Yeah. Uh, but it's all waterborne stuff, so it takes a totally yeah. different. 
on that than it does for the base coats that I use. Because the stuff I use, it's all professional grade automotive yeah. base right. coat color. Yeah. Like that. And I think what's important with that is the adhesion and durability. And remember, cars are meant to be outside in all weathers. And I would just really caution people, even though some of these materials say they can be used for these applications, a lot of that Hobby Lobby level stuff, and I've got no animosity towards Hobby Lobby. Goodness knows I've spent a ton of money there in Michaels over the years uh, for fly tying and rod building, right? But um, UV and UV exposure and the temperature variations and salt water and those kind of things, like you want to talk yep. about finding the weakness in a coating real quick. Um, th that's that's one of the other things that you're getting when you use a high quality, admittedly expensive 2K automotive urethane is the automotive industry has been putting that R&D in, in their UV chambers and their salt spray tests and, you know, their, you know, freezing to hot tests. You know, I mean, th th these paints, these coatings are modern tech and they will last a long, as long as a paint will last on your car. Uh, on your on your rod blank, right? So, uh, I mean, to me, it's just one of the reasons why it makes a lot of sense to have somebody like you, you know, do this. But we talked about all the different. What's the most popular stuff that you do? Is it candies, solids? Is it is it the fades? Is it? It's all over the chart. I. It's one of those things. My my wood grains have been really popular lately. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many different fish species. Yeah. As far as the the fish patterns and stuff like that. Yeah. Mine has been the number one seller, but yeah. I've got four colors of mahi I do. Yeah. So even more than that, because I do some of the mahis in collegiate colors. Yeah. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Looks like a Van Halen guitar or something. <laughs> yeah. And I, well, I, that's the thing. I did the Van Halen guitar on. Yeah. On, you've uh, done that on some real seats. I know. Yeah. Yes. So I've done the Van Halen guitar pattern. I've done that before. Uh, th you know, there's so many different things, you know, people are into different things. Yeah. And, Whatever they're into, that's that's what they're throwing at me. And yeah, I mean, some guys the glacier pattern. I've I've done a, I'm like a glacier. How do how am I supposed to fit a glacier on on a skinny fish? <laughs> okay, but you know what? I picked up all the colors and got got that in, and and it worked. It, yeah, it looked yeah. a galaxy, biggest pattern in the world, the galaxy. Yeah, it's in the universe right. on a rock. You know what? It looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. I saw one of those. Uh, I can't remember if it was in the competition or one of those was at w the ICRVE or uh, one of these last few years. And I was like, man, that that turned out better than if you'd have described it to me. What I would have thought in my mind is like, this is going to be impossible. It actually looks really good. People come up with different things all the time and challenge me to come up with a way to make it happen on a fishing rod. So yeah. uh, I always look forward to that. You know, it's one of those things that I look at this as I, I get paid to do arts and crafts for a living. And right. I love that. Right. <laughs> I, I don't care to ever retire from this because I'm doing what I want to do when I retire. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am doing arts and crafts. Your, your kindergarten teacher would be proud. Yeah. And, and so I get to do this and it, it's so much fun because people do throw stuff at me. And every now and then I have to say, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a guy recently wanted a peacock bass pattern, but he wanted mm. it on an ice. And I, I'm like, no. Not much to work with there. Yeah. Put it on there. I, I'm like, right. there's nothing I can do. Although I have done a wood grain on an ice blank. So, uh, <laughs> And you know what? It looked pretty good. Well, there you go, man. For those of you who've never built an ice rod, they are short and they are tiny diameter. It's like the tip section. Imagine almost, and it's not the same. There's a lot more engineering. It's a different thing. But imagine the tip section, the tipmost section of a four-piece fly rod. That's kind of about like a little bit what an ice rod is like. There's not a lot to work with there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't want any... 
any of my gentle neighbors to the north mad at me. I'm not. I'm not down on ice rods. I'm not down on ice fishing. There's just not a lot to paint there. No, and and I and it's one of those things that I'll never know how they work because I'll never use one. I like my water to be water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not not a solid substance, right? That's the wrong phase of that particular uh, material for you. So talk to me a little bit. Like I'm, I look at the work you do on some of these blanks. It seems like you've learned some lessons over time about how to treat tip tops and how to treat ferrules. Talk, talk to me a little bit about that. And in the event you have a multi-piece rod or some of these mating surfaces, like what have you learned with that that you're you can share with us multi-piece rods you know like a fly rod or something like that mm -hmm. it, it's one of those things i just i don't paint the ferrule that, that gets covered up because right. we'll change the size of it just enough yep. that the the rod's not going to go back together the way it should right so i i just mask off that part of it when i'm painting them if it's a big surf rod or something like that two-piece surf rod where you're talking about a really big rod you're, I'm not only going to mask that off, I'm going to mask off probably an extra half of an inch mm -hmm. because that rod is going to get jammed down, jammed down, jammed down, and it's going to keep pushing down towards the paint. Yeah, The fly might do that over time, but it's it's going to be so minimal that it's really not going to hurt anything. Yeah. But those surf rods, uh, yeah, those, I, I will usually mask off. There's going to be like a black edge around there of at least three-eighths of an inch where those rods come together because they do change a lot over time. They're designed to, right? Yeah. So I always mask off a little bit of the tip top, yep. right? You know, just a little bit of the tip top. You know, it's one of those things that you learn, you learn by making mistakes. And sure. it's one of those things that when I first got into this, I had a buddy of mine that needed a couple of rods painted. I painted them up for him and I wasn't masking off the tip tops at that time. And he had glued his tip top on and he said, then it came off and he said, all the paint came off with it and he couldn't get mm. the paint out of the tip top. <laughs> okay. So the heat from heating it up to put it on there actually caused the paint to loosen up on the tip yeah. and then it all. Off. So I'm like, no, I'll just mask off a little bit of that tip top. So when they, when that glues on, it glues on to the rod blank, not to the paint. Yeah. Okay. Want, even if it covers up a little bit of the paint, it, it, I want to make sure it's stuck to the rod blank. Little things like that. Those are just something that you got to do. And, you know, the biggest thing is do a nice, neat job. Do right. it. If the paint job isn't perfect, then it's not done. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to send something out that I wouldn't want for my own. Right. It's one of those things. If I have to redo one, I will redo it. It's a lot. Sometimes, you know, even with painting cars and stuff like that, sometimes you got to do a little sanding and buffing to get get a yep. little bit of get it right. Yep. Yep. Job or or you know a, a nap or something like that that got into the paint job. So sometimes you have to take care of stuff. But I don't send it out with a problem. It's one of those things that I'm adamant about making sure we go over every single rod after they're painted to make sure that it's perfect. Yeah. And that's, that's what I would kind of caution people. That's probably the most difficult part of this DIY besides the amount of money you're going to have to spend to get the paints and the equipment, all that kind of stuff, which by all means you want to try it, do it. You'll enjoy doing it. If you're a maker to use Vic Cutter's term, you know, um, have at it, but to be able to spray these things and have them not get contamination, lint, dust, bugs, whatever it is, you don't have any idea how much particulate matter there is in the air we breathe and on our clothes and in our hair and all this all the time until you try to get a good finish without that stuff. If you don't, if you don't take some serious precautions and have a booth or a clean room or both, you know, that kind of thing, but not only just paint them, but to be able to let them cure, right? Um, it, it's real hard to get it right. And, you know, the hobbyist is going to be, you know, he doesn't necessarily have to worry about all the alphabet soup that I have to worry about, right. like the 
A and the D E R and right, but right. worry about is the H O A. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> the W I F E. Yeah. It's often the rate limiting factor for me at my house. So yeah. And that's the thing. Get get some overspray on the W W I F E's car and you, you got a real problem. <laughs> Why would that would not be a survivable event for me? Yeah. Depends upon where you live and stuff like that too, because you know how it is. If some of these people, if they're in if they're in an HOA type thing and there's and, and they're spraying a spray bomb out in the backyard, you know, the, some, some neighbor's going to complain about it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it just, what I do, people don't have to worry about that. And, yeah. and it, I'm pretty quick about the turnaround time, but it's one of those things that, and cost wise, it's not that bad. You know, when people it, what does it cost them to do one on their own, it's yeah. not that much. It's not. Yeah. So, and generally, and, and again, all these prices are up on Don's uh, website and, and, you know, I don't know if they're going to be updated for 2024. We're, we're sort of approaching the end of 2023, but as of, you know, the current price list and we're recording this to give people an idea, like to have a blank painted is like less than 50 bucks, right? It's like 47 bucks r- roughly, yeah, you know, 40, to have a seat painted. does One blank, one color. Right. Uh, yeah. Four blanks in the same color, the price starts to go down. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, but if I'm setting up to do one blank in one color, you know, forty six ninety five. That's that's maximum inefficiency, right? <laughs> one blank in one, yeah. Yep. Whereas if you do more, and and so there's a logic to why, and and if you try to do these yourself, you'll understand the the investment in time and prep and paint and everything else, and that it's it really is just almost as much work to ship to paint one blank as it is to paint ten, right, of the same color. Um, yep. And then when you start having to clean the gun and change things out, and it just it gets complicated in a hurry. But do, do you have a favorite out of all these that you've done, or a, one do you you like to do most? The mahi is definitely one of my favorites. The, the yeah. wood grains getting into, you know, every time I do something, you know, I, I I offer a mahi, then everybody's like, oh my god, that's awesome! Can you do a redfish? Okay, right. well, so so I do a redfish. Yeah. Oh my, can you do a trout? Yeah, right. yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I do. The same thing with the wood grains. Yeah. You'll you have uh, a nice teak looking wood grain. Oh, that's great. Can you do one that looks more like hickory? I can probably make it look more like hickory. Okay. Right. But it looks like birch. Now we're getting complicated, right? Yeah. I, I've done birch. I've done, you know, the bamboo, all that different yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it's like everybody wants something different. And of course, I do the gray woodies. You've seen the gray woodies that I do too, I think. Yeah. Uh, those are really popular. The, yeah. Kind of a distressed wood look, and it's like it, they look great. But I've yeah. done a bunch of those. I've I've done some recently that were a sea foam color in a wood grain. Ooh, that sounds pretty cool. I haven't seen one of those. So it's one of those things that the rules are there are no rules. Right. Uh, when I say any blank, any color, people blow me away sometimes with their with their concepts and what what they want. Yeah. And sometimes I'll argue with them a little bit and say. That's not a good idea because of this, that, or the other. Right. What if we try it like this? You know, because my experience is, okay, don't put that color right next to this color. Separate it with, it's going to show up better. Yeah. Uh, I can sometimes give them a direction to help them understand what their cons, how to bring their concept together on a blank. The other thing, I am a rod builder. Right. So what a rod builder has to go through yeah, and don don's a good rod builder he wouldn't he wouldn't tell you that but he's a good rod builder so he knows what he's doing yeah which helps i think because you understand what happens to these parts in construction or after you send them off to somebody right exactly that's the yeah. thing i and i also understand when you go to put that thing together what how how are you going to do 
your guide wraps and stuff to make this happen because mm-hmm. with the colors that you have on here, it looks great, but how are you going to do the guide? You know, I've probably helped more silkworms uh, stay in business. <laughs> For clear wraps so that they can bleed the paint through. So, yeah, right. They, they don't know how to wrap it, so what do you do? All else, go to silk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what Don's referring to is if you if you if you get some plain uh, undyed or very light colored silk thread and wrap your guides and things on and then finish it, it disappears. And so you're actually able to see uh, if you can't find a complementary or you know consistent kind of thematically consistent or matching color, you can always just go clear and let the blank do all the talking, right? And and that can be a really good idea too. A lot of guys will do that, but it's one of those things that. I'm like, find a color in that pattern and just make it pop. You know, it's like, so I try to help people with that too, trying to help, you know, especially new builders and stuff like that. I deal with guys that this is their first or second rod they've ever built before. And I deal with guys that have been doing this for 50 years and, and that have tons of experience. So I, I, everybody across, across the board on this. And, and I love working with the new guys. Yeah. I am very active in the custom rod builders guild. So that's part of what we do is to help teach the new guys and bring them up. And right. we do workshops, which we do have a workshop coming up at mud hole and at the end of January. So, yeah. So January, I think 27th through 29th of 2024. So if you, I, I don't know exactly when this podcast is going to air, but if you're interested in that, just Google it. I know I received, I got an email about it today from a uh, foundation outdoor group from mud hole and American tackle talking about it at, as a guild me- or maybe it was from the guild. I don't know. Since I am a guild, guild member too, that's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I just, I just saw an email about that today and that's why I have the date off the top of my head. But, um, you know, just go guild, go search, Google the custom rod builders guild, and you can see all about how you can join and and how you can participate in these events. And there's this particular one coming up. They do a real neat one in Park Falls, Wisconsin, with St. Croix, where you can actually roll your own blank if you sign up in advance. You, you, the guild can get you access to doing some really cool things that you wouldn't be able to do as an individual. Although anybody can, you know, sign up and walk in and take a tour. You get to do some pretty cool stuff if you if you go via the guild route. And the, the same is true with um with this American Tackle, which is now part of the Foundation Outdoor Group, has historically supported the event that they hold in January. First of all, it's a really good time to be in Florida in January compared to a whole lot of parts of the country, right? So that's that's a reason to come down. Uh, one of the things I love about when Mudhole and Gitbit are sponsoring these events is Oviedo, you know, you're basically in Orlando, right? So um, a lot of the rod building stuff we do, my my spouse does not fish. She does not rod build, which is good because she'd probably be better at both of those things than I'll ever be if she chose to do that. And that would burn me up. But you, it's it's cool because you go and it's one where you can actually bring the spouse and the kids or whoever, grandkids, uh, because there's so much to do in Orlando in that area. And if you didn't know, Oviedo is very close. It's basically Orlando, right? And so that's where you fly in if you're traveling via air. And so it, it's kind of a cool one in that you can, really go deep as a rod builder and get a full weekend in and an event like this but you also are in a place that's pretty fun for other non-rod building non-fishing types if you have any of those in your family so and i'll I'll do a demonstration on the painting there too so i'm I'm thinking about putting together a presentation on how to do the woodies uh how to do stuff like that so uh you know anybody who's interested in it there there's going to be some great presentations going on there and stuff like that uh, it'll be, and besides the fact, the camaraderie of, of these events is sure, just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Around other like-minded rod builders. I was going to say, it's a good group of folks. And anytime you're hanging around with people with who are passionate about the same, you know, shared hobbies and things, it's, it, 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 I would say, you know, you could go just for the, 
I agree. You could go just for the knowledge you gain and the exposure and the inspiration, but man, that there's a whole lot of camaraderie and uh, old friends, you know, that, that you could go just for that too. And, 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 and rod building, who cares, right? There's not a better place anywhere in the world to have this than at the mud hole facilities there. They, that's, it's just awesome what the foundation group has there. Right. Classrooms and stuff like that to be able to have this event is awesome. Yeah. Their facilities are second to none. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, if you've never been, it, it's a, and I personally, as so, and you're the same way. I know we've been there doing teaching techniques and things at advanced techniques seminars and, and different things. Man, it's such a nice setup. Like you don't, you have plenty of room. You never need to worry about power or equipment. Or if you forgot something, guess what? You got this huge showroom that sells everything rod building. Like it's such a luxury to, to present there. Cause if I ever, have an equipment failure or I forget something or I run out of something. It's like, guess what? They, I, I just walk over here and Jake will get it for me or Todd will get it for me or Sergeant Butters will get it for me. So it's, it's awesome that they'll spoil you for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, it's definitely an event that people need to put on their calendar. So yeah, but like I was saying, I, I do a lot of work with them and stuff. So get to know a lot of rod builders from all over the country. Yeah. And really how I got this thing built was building it up through the guild Yep. Building up through uh, my contacts at American Tackle, through my contacts at Mud Hole. I still yep. remember the day I went in. God, this was back a long time ago. I'd probably been painting for three or four years at the time. And I okay. went in and talked to the folks at Mud Hole back when they were at their old facility. Right. And I talked to them yeah, about it. it's been a while. Yeah. And, and said, you know, we could work something out to where we could offer this painted, you know, painting system and stuff like that. And they were like, you know, what kind of pricing at that time? I think it was like $25 a rod. I said, we could paint rods for like 25 bucks a pop. I'm more than that now. That was a long time ago. <laughs> like, no, can't do it. And it's yeah. like, you know, it never sells. It. Rod, rod builders won't pay that much for it. And that was, at the time, Rod Geeks was just about to come out with right. their system for painting like for 15 bucks. Right. Like, eat that. Right. Like, eat that because Rod Geeks only gives them so many colors and they and you right. have to buy a rod to do it. That's fine. It's great blanks. I'm not yeah, it's saying that. blanks, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're used to building on a Batson 843, that's, what, that's you what your customer wants. Right. Yeah. 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 You want to build on an LS 7, 8 to 15. Yeah. What you want. That's, that's what you're used to building. That's what you like to sell. Right. Because that's the one that you have confidence in. Right. So I wanted every, I don't ever want to get to the position where, I'm a rod sales guy. Right. Where customers come to me and ask me, well, what would be the best rod for this? And it's like, well, where do you buy your rods? Yeah. Buy from who you're used to buying from. Right. I, I don't want, you know, Mudhole and I, we we have a good working relationship there. We have a good working relationship with Gitbit. I have a good working relationship with you. I have a good working right. relationship with Batson. I have a good yeah. working relationship with Rod Forge and Rod Geek and everybody else. Yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah. Because I don't go in there and try to tell somebody that, oh, don't use those blanks because you can buy it for $4 cheaper at this place. No. Right, yeah. You t take care of buying your own blanks. Right. Or I'll pick them up, whatever. Right. And we'll take it from there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be the rod sales guy. It's one of those things that if a guy asks me between two different rods, you know, I, I'll give him my opinion on sure. it. But it's, I'm not trying to sell him rods. Right. Yeah. But it, it's one of those things. So I, I do that. That that's always been a a big part of the way we run our businesses. People trust us with their business too. I, right. I do a lot of with Alex. I, I I can't not mention him either. Yeah, North Fork Composites. Yep. Yeah, and Edge Rods. Right. Yeah. 
Alex Maslov, right. They, they send us a lot of strikers, another one, mm-hmm. a thrasher. Name yep. them all. You bet. Yep. I, I've painted CTS blanks. I've, I've, I've painted, I can't think of any that I haven't painted yet. Yeah. Oh, that there's one out there that I haven't painted yet. And and that's a neat part of what I do, too, because I get to see so many different things. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. I think that's cool. Yeah. You know, when somebody sends me a rod, and, and this is one of the other things, too, when you're talking about having to do something like a mahi pattern, mm-hmm. uh, do a bass pattern, a peacock bath, whatever. You're doing a fish species, they have a top and a bottom to those. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mahi's got a yellow belly, and it's got a green back. Right. Okay, on the basic mahi, that's what you're going to have. Right. Well, if I build that rod and the spine, and I don't spine it, yeah, customer goes to spine it, he's going to build the rod upside down. He's going to be swimming sideways like a dead mahi. <laughs> so I spine all the rods. Now, some guys will tell me, oh, no, no, I don't do spine. I I, I don't spine them. I use straightest access. Fine. I'll do straightest I'll access. I'll do straightest for access for you. Right. I'll yeah. do whatever you tell me to do, but they're, they're going to, I'm going to determine a top and a bottom on that rod before I paint yeah. it. It's important to have it that way so that people, when they go to put it together, it looks right. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's one of the things that it again, performs as, right and looks right. Yeah. Yeah. As a rod builder, I understand that part of the process. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, if you're just painting them orange or even a wood grain or something like that, there is no top and bottom. I don't need a top and bottom for that. But with the fish species, yeah, it, it, it matters. So if you're somebody who's, you mentioned, the difference between that it's a sort of a different process for painting a blank than it is painting a real seat. Talk to me a little bit about that. What are some of the lookouts in painting real seats relative to painting blanks? The biggest thing with real seats is when, when you scuff them up, because generally you can scuff them up good with like a Scotch-Brite pad or something sure. like that. Uh, you know, scuff them up good with a Scotch-Brite pad. And, but the thing is your graphite will be exposed on the surface when you do that. Yeah. With a rock, it doesn't do that. Right. But with the, with the real seats, it does. Some of them do it more than others. Fuji right. does it more than American Tackle. Interesting. Uh, Alps does it more than Fuji. Hmm. Um, but it, it's one of those things that it just kind of depends upon the seat. The composition. Yep. Right. It more than others, but they all do it to a point. Right. And so those real seats have to be hit with a primer, usually yeah. two coats of primer, and then wet sand them down, and then sometimes one more quick coat of primer yep. before you Yep. Uh, rod blanks. You had said priming rod blanks. I don't prime rod blanks. Very okay. seldom do I. Rod blanks. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just not necessary. Yeah. There's two things that you get adhesion with, either chemically or mechanically. Right. If you stand it. That's getting a mechanical adhesion. Right. right. Okay? You're you're creating something that will grip the paint. Right. If you have something that you can't sand it properly then there are products out there that you can spray on their primers or adhesion promoters to get that chemical adhesion. Yeah. Uh, some rod blanks require that. Yeah. Okay. That's one of those things that you learn by experience. You, mm-hmm. you learn that fault. And some of the rod blanks will require, especially some of the carbon fiber weave blanks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They require a little extra adhesion promoter, okay. promoter on so, but with the real seats, priming them, and and Adam was the one who taught me that. You, you know Adam too. Yeah, Adam Lathrop, uh, Mach Two Customs. Yep, yep. We're we're good friends. We we used to paint. We used to compete against each other, but we talked yeah. to each other on the phone all the time and stuff. And you know, we we would constantly be in communication and stuff. But it's one of those things that I never used to prime the real seats. And he started saying, "Well, you kind of prime the real seats," and I'm like, "I really haven't had to." Well. I was doing real seats 
mostly it was the American tackle seats. Yeah. They really didn't require it. I could get by without it. But when I got into doing some of the Fuji seats and the Alp seats and stuff yeah. like that, all of a sudden, yeah. yeah, these things have to be primed. Yeah. Because it opens it up. It's almost porous on the surface mm-hmm. now. Yeah. And really, a lot of the American tackle seats do it too. But at that time, the ones I was painting didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It, so you kind of learn which ones you can and can't do it on. Yeah. And at a certain point, time you just say i'm just gonna prime all seats yeah yeah i'm not gonna mess around with it i'm gonna do them all but the rod blanks themselves do not require a primer okay in most cases there's a, like i say occasionally an adhesion promoter okay. uh but you got a primer on those if i were to try to paint a blank and it turns and i didn't prime it, it turns out it was one that needed a primer how am i gonna tell like it's the paint's not gonna adhere or it's not gonna or like what does that look like or how would you describe that the biggest thing is if you're scuffing the blank up well enough and you're cleaning it well enough, you shouldn't have an issue. One of the things to look for is when you're wiping it down, because I, I use a wax and grease remover also mm-hmm. for a final prep, mm-hmm. uh, which that you can buy through your paint suppliers and stuff like that. And you can probably order it on Amazon even. I mean, it's, but it's, These it's days, a, probably, yeah. It's made for removing wax and grease. And that's yep. always kind of a, a wipe down. And if you're wiping it down and you're still getting black from the rod, then you have carbon fiber, carbon material that's still loose on there. And that's okay. going to cause you, going to cause you other problems. If it's still coming up, you need to go out and prep it again. Okay. I, I have a very simple rule when I'm teaching somebody how to prep, you prep it until you know you have it done right. And then you do it again and it should be okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it's just a one little tiny knit somewhere that yeah, right, one yeah. spot that you don't get right. scuffed up up, and you're going to have a problem. If you look over the rod and there's still a shiny spot on it, you're not good enough. Yeah, you've got to shine off it. You got to get that gloss off of it. Okay. The other thing, if you're taking a blank that already has a painted surface on it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of them out there. Matter of fact, probably most of them have a painted surface on. Right. It. Yeah. Have a matte black painted surface, but right. it's still surface right some of the painted surfaces that i've done if you're using a scotch bright to clean those to prep them mm-hmm. you'll blister the paint interesting okay the scotch bright friction yeah and it creates heat and it will actually cause it to blister i've only had that happen on a few rods interesting but had it happen so from now on we change the procedure yeah. we do everything wet you know yeah. it's one we we use a bucket of water. We sometimes put a couple drops of Dawn soap in there. Scrub it good with a Scotch Brite and yep. with it wet. Then they, then you don't build up the heat. Okay. Because if you don't have heat while you're doing it, that can cause problems too. Sure. So golly, I I, I man, if I started bubbling uh, the paint with a Scotch Brite, I don't. It would take me a minute to figure out what was going on. I'm not sure I would tumble to the answer immediately. That was that does not sound like a fun journey to me. First time I saw that happen, I was actually prepping three rods, three rods the same way. And when I was wiping them down after I was prepping them, I'm like, what is this? And it's like, the paint's bubbling. And I'm like, geez, this is weird. This does not seem right. Uh, And so I got to looking at the other ones and I'm like, they had it too. And I'm like, and I, I realized after the fact that what was going on, it was the heat that was building up from the Scotch Bright pad. Yeah, wow. it's a wet scotch right pad and it makes the heat Not go a problem. away. Yeah. But those rods had to be stripped. Yeah. I had to strip the paint off of them. So, you know, that's another thing that sometimes you get into something that is yeah. like, okay, got to go a little bit further on this one. So, yeah. and, and anything that I was a little bit nervous about because that paint wasn't adhering well to that blank. Yeah. 
it was probably a good thing that we did what we did and went ahead and stripped the paint off yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to. Usually, you can paint over what's there. Yeah. I get people all the time that it's like, well, I got to get a blank from mud hole, and and I, it's it's only available in pink because they've sold out of the black ones. Right. Send me a pink one. It don't matter. I'm, we're, yeah. we're we're paint, we're painting the blue. It doesn't matter. We're send me the pink one. Get me what you can get me. Right. I always prefer unpainted, you know, sanded finishes, stuff like but but you can work with whatever. Yeah. If somebody's listening to this, Don, and they're they're intrigued by the pro the by the topic and they see you know what I never thought about this, or I looked at some of the pictures and I love it, but I want to try it. What what kind of tips or pointers? We've talked a little bit about safety. Any other tips or pointers as it relates to the, going down this painting path that you would recommend people or resources that they should reference? It it takes practice. Yeah. Painting a painting a blank is so different than painting a golf cart, <laughs> a car hood, or yeah. or a fin, or you know right. anything. Like that. Painting a blank is is sometimes it's it's even hard just to hit it because when you're spraying up such a skinny blank and you're trying to keep a tight pattern, sometimes you absolutely miss it. You know, you it's so easy to just miss what you're doing. You've got to, it. It takes some practice to get good at painting the blanks and then hitting the even amount of material on each side and stuff like that. It, it just takes practice uh, to be able to do that. Like I say ventilation and, and safety procedures and stuff like that. But the biggest thing is get some old blanks and practice. Know you're going to burn through some material and stuff like that until you get it right. But check your results. Don't just, Oh, it looks good. I'm, I, I think I'm a good painter now. And, you know, I think the biggest thing people do wrong is they don't wait long enough before they go to build their rods. Uh -huh. uh, there's a curing process that happens. Yeah. Yep. With, with these urethane clears and stuff like that, you're going to achieve 90% cure within 24 hours. Okay. That's pretty good. But you know what? You're only 90%. You don't achieve 98% cure for about 30 days. Mm. It will continue to cure as time goes on. And it's one of those things that I won't let, I usually won't let a rod out of my shop for five days after it's been painted. That's interesting. Yeah. It's just that simple. It's like, give it five days. Give me five days before I have to pack it up and ship it. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then it's going to be a couple more days in shipping before you get it and start wrapping thread around it. Because what, imagine that you have soft paint and you wrap a thread around it and have a little tension on that. What's going to happen? It's going to dig in and, Cause problems. Yep. It's going to cut right into it. So that paint yep. has to be good before you start doing your thread work. Yeah. And okay. I say, I'm just saying uh, with the materials that I use, with the high grade of materials that I use, I give it five days. Mm -hmm. If you're using something out of a rattle can, I, I can't tell you how long you need to wait. You're going to have to experiment with that. You know, it's not materials that I use. So I don't have that much experience with it, although I'm aware of it. It's still, you just, you're going to have to experiment with it. Do a scrap blank. When you're painting your blank, do a scrap blank and do those tests before you start building it. When you put epoxy paste on it, does it move the paint? You know, you make sure you're doing some testing on it before you do a, a actual rod because yeah. it's an expensive lesson to learn when you do it on a $100 blank and or more and spend all that time and stuff on it and all the paint materials and stuff like that. It's yeah. an expensive lesson to learn. To, and Here's the other part of the, the business pitch that I do. When you do screw it up, contact me. I know how to get it off. Send it to <laughs> I've done that for many a customer that yeah. tried to do it themselves. 
So it's one of those things. It's what gunsmiths would call a a brown bag job or a paper bag job when they come walking in with a gun disassembled in pieces and be like, I need help. (laughs) Well, you know, especially if they do this on a $150, $200 blank and it's like, oh my God, what to do? God, I don't know what to do. I'm like, pack it up and ship it to me. I'll take care of it. And, And I've done that with several customers and stuff like that where they've tried to do one themselves and it just didn't come out good enough. And it yeah. may have come okay, but it wasn't good enough. And that's my goal is to never never leave any doubt it's going to be good enough. If you get it through me, it's going to be good enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a customer tell me a while back, it was actually at one of the workshops we were doing with the guild and stuff. And he mm-hmm. was he, he was talking about, he says, when you get your package from Mud Hole or Angler's Resource or wherever you're getting your materials, he says, it's 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 always so exciting to open up your packages and just go through the stuff. Yeah. You know, yep. just an excited rod builder, you know, it's like, I get so excited over opening it, but he says when the package comes in and it came from backbone custom rods and, and it's been painted, he says, it's like Christmas morning. He says, you just can't wait to see what it looks like. And, and I'm like, that's just a huge compliment, you know, to, yeah. to have get excited about what it is that I do and stuff like that. And, it it keeps me excited about it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what it all comes down to is I'm having fun doing it. And you know, like I say, I get paid to do arts and crafts. There you go. It's good work if you can get it. Yep. Well, man, Don, this was awesome. Thank you so much for joining and for talking us through this. And and we'll post all these links in the description. But again, if you if you want to track Don down, you have questions, you want to uh, you know, backbone custom rod singular uh dot com and you can also find him you know uh on facebook on instagram just uh you know uh it's it's backbone underscore custom underscore rods on instagram but if you just go online and google or go on facebook and search you'll find him he's out there and uh certainly an authority on the topic and and been doing it a while and don i really appreciate your support of the guild and your willingness to share uh and educate and uh and also the the excellent work you do painting so uh been a pleasure to have you on thank you so much for joining me bill it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure Any, anybody you want to say hi to while we're on here any of your oh. favorite fishing buddies <laughs> you know it's one of those things that i i don't know what what what, what's your following on this thing? Do you, do you have numbers? That's classified or, or, at this time. Or, or, or talking to like 12 people? No. Hey, come on, man. No. It's at least 14 or 15 people. Y'all blow Don up for that. Listen to that. Uh, come on, man. No, we're, we're at least 12 because I'll, I'll get all my kids to listen to it this time. So Exactly. Well. That's what I was thinking. If you, were, if you would say hi to the kids or grandkids, have at it, man. Yep. All righty. Well, the, to, all, to all my kids and the, and the grandkids and stuff like that, Pops, Pops will see it. We'll see all the ones out in Arizona. We've got all our Arizona family out there. We'll see right. them. Uh, my son, my son does border patrol out there. Okay, and, excellent. Uh, yeah, tough job right now. Oh man, my gosh! I are, are the kids the kids born out there? Is their first are their first words? But it's a dry heat. Did they learn <laughs> that before, Mama and Dad? Dad? Yeah, it is a dry heat. It's a dry heat, like into a, a convection oven. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Oh man. Well, thanks so much for joining. Super helpful. Uh, we'll, we'll give every, everybody Don's information and, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, this will open up the world of possibilities that are there for, uh, for custom painted blanks and custom painted real seats. Certainly, um, 
you know, just anecdotally, I will add that it was kind of uh, the first time I tried it, I tried it just because I'll try anything once. Uh, but it, it's just really interesting how different aesthetic effects strike different people. And I'm telling yeah. you, the people who like painted blanks and painted seats, it just blows them away. And it is such it, it was shocking to me, even what a satisfier it was. You know, I tend to focus in on ah carbon fiber grips or I focus in on these kind of thread techniques I like or whatever. But it's just another trick in the bag. And, you know, there's no accounting for taste. But, man, the people who love a painted you just blow people's minds sometimes. So uh, if you've never tried it or it's not a, an option you discuss with your customers, if you're a builder, man, I, I'm telling you, there's a there's a whole group of people that get really, really excited about it. It's worth trying. It's worth investigating. And so uh, you could hardly start with a better source than Don. So Don, thanks so much for joining and, and sharing all the information. And uh, I'll probably see you pretty soon. We see each other several times a year. I'll probably see you at this Guild event in January, I'd suspect. Oh, that'd be great if you could be there. That'd awesome. be awesome. Well, keep yourself well, and uh, we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate your support of the Mastering Rod Building Podcast. And please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast content. We'll see you next time. That's going to wrap it up for this week. But if you'd like to be notified as soon as all new podcasts are released, just text the word FISHING to 587-317-6099. We'll add you to our email list so you can stay up to date. Thanks for listening.